This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is our weekly time with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. We have been focusing with Max in the past couple weeks and will until Election Day. We'll be focusing on the fair share amendment, question one on the ballot on November the 8th, right? Something like that. (laughs) It's that it's that Tuesday. Um, So we have been talking uh, on and off about this question, the fair share amendment for uh, some time, Max. And you had told us, and this goes back some ways, that the polling showed that there was really large support, almost overwhelming support for the fair share amendment, yes, on question one. But it was also part of those polls that showed a lot of people didn't know about it, so that there was a large group of the electorate that was up for grabs. And I know that the Uh, opposition, the uh, billionaires who are opposed to paying four cents more on income, income, not assets. There was a misleading, I think, misleading headline in the Gazette this week. Uh, There is opposition and there are uh, ads now being taken out. My question for you is, how is that playing out with the electorate? What do we know, if anything, about polling? And what do you see as the prospects for the fair share amendment at this time? And I ask you, Max Page, because the Massachusetts Teachers Association, of which you are the president, has invested a lot of time and treasure in trying to see that the fair share amendment passes. I'll turn the microphone over to you for a minute. Max, please. Sure. Thank you, Bill. And I do want to know it is November 8th, which is Election Day. But as we all know, increasing numbers of people, Massachusetts voters are voting early. And in fact, mail-in ballots, I think, are going out this week. So people can begin to vote and then in the last few weeks of October begins in-person early voting. So, and I believe uh, somewhere upwards of a million people have requested those mail-in ballots. So really we are starting the, the voting season. So um, just to answer your question, I mean, there have been a, there's been a number of public polls that show this um, with strong support, uh, you know, ranging in the in the mid high 50s into the 60s. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a wide range, but these issues are very um, difficult all over the country. And we know in Massachusetts as well, revenue questions can be um, difficult. And so, but what I think is um, what's crystal clear with voters is who this applies to, um, which is people who make a million dollars in income on a yearly basis. Yeah. It but is let's... not about total wealth. It is not about pensions. It is not about um, anything else than that. It is about what is your what is on the bottom line of the household tax form at the end when you do your taxes after deductions, after everything else. What is the actual taxable income? And that turns out to be uh, well below one percent of taxpayers. So I think that's really resonating. People say a million dollars a year. I don't make that. I don't know anyone who makes that. And so it's, that's why I think it's uh, maintaining its stronghold. Describe for us, please, for those listeners who are just beginning to look at and consider this uh, constitutional amendment, what it does. You've just gone over uh, some of the highlights, but describe it for us in a bit more detail, please. Sure. So, um, and I, I want to say that there's a chance that I'm to, if you want to talk in person, I'll be at the Northampton canvas. That is this Sunday at 10 a.m. meeting outside the Forbes Library, 20 West Street 
in downtown Northampton, 10 a.m. this Sunday. And there are canvases going on all over in phone banking. You can just go to fairsharema.com slash volunteer. So um, just to be to be clear, we have a flat tax in this state. We are one of only um, a few states in the nation that has a flat tax. That means everyone pays the same rate, 5%, whether you make $10,000 a year or 10 million. Most of us understand that the federal tax and most states have um, progressive taxes. The more you make, the higher percentage you pay on those taxes. We do not. We are, that's built into our constitution, our state constitution. It was set 100 years ago. We are simply amending the constitution to create one single additional tax bracket for income over a million dollars. First million dollars, you pay exactly what all of us here pay, 5% on income. For any dollars over one million, there's an additional surtax of an extra four cents on every dollar over a million dollars. That's what it is. The other side, though, I will say, Bill, is in very important is that it's raising taxes on the very wealthiest, not millionaires, but multimillionaires and billionaires. And it is dedicated. It'll be dedicated in the Constitution, guaranteed to be spent on, spent on public schools, public colleges, and, and repair of uh, maintenance of roads, bridges, and public transportation systems. So this is question one on the ballot on November 8th. And as you point out, early voting is about to start and vote by mail is about to start and early voting will happen the week before the election as well. Uh, Back to my question uh, about how this uh, is faring in public opinion polls. Uh, Do we have reliable data on that or is that simply up in the air and we'll find out on election night? Well, I mean, what's reliable about polling? There have been different polls um, in in recent weeks, and I think they've been up around 56%, 55%, 57%. There have been different polls by different entities um, that show it with strong support. Um, and so that's good. And I think we also, as you said, Bill, lots of people really start paying attention in detail about how they're going to vote um, uh, in the last in the last weeks of October, the first week of November. So this is a really uh, crucial time. I'd like to turn to our person in the studio who has his pulse on the people. Not all. We have people. a special guest we, today. We, we <laughs> our resident dummy, Monty Belmonte. <laughs> Monty, who has among other obligations a radio show on the river for three or four hours in the morning. Um, Monty, what are you hearing about uh, this question? And we point out again to our listeners that the reasons we call it the fair share amendment is because we are, in fact, going to amend, hopefully, the Massachusetts Constitution to allow a 4%, 4% additional tax on income, not on assets. You can be as rich as you want and not pay a dime more. But if you have income over that's not even quite true. If you have adjusted gross income, if you take all your deductions and you still have a reporting over a million dollars in a year of income, then you're going to pay 4%. So, for example, if you have uh, income, adjusted gross income of $1,100,000, you're going to pay an additional $4,000. So that's how it's going to work. Monty, what say the people? The listeners of the river, by and large, are supportive of all this kind of the ultra-rich need to pay a little bit more 
for things to function well, going all the way back to the Occupy Wall Street time on the air and the Bernie Sanders movement and things of that nature. So the concept for a lot of the listeners that I interact with seems very fair. Um, in my more informal conversations with people that are generally um, opposed to any new taxes, even this amendment, I'll take my dad, for instance, who's, you know, he's, he, I've pulled him over to the left a little bit more than maybe he was as a, a child, but gets the concept that this is about income, that this is constitutionally written in what it will be used for. So, and I know that this is another thing that some Western mass people are concerned with, but what are they going to do with that money? They're going to take this extra, you know, four cents on the dollar after a million dollars, but what are they going to do with it? Western mass people say they're going to take it and use it in Boston. Uh, other people in the Boston area that I interact with say they're going to blow it on X, Y, Z thing. In the Constitution, it will be very specific as to what this is used for. And those two things at the same time, I think, make this an appealing proposition that, yes, it's only income over that million dollars. If you make two million dollars in a calendar year as adjusted you, gross income, as adjusted gross income, you will still walk away with a hundred one million nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars, which still a wicked lot of money. I also love to remind people that I interact with. You are never going to make a million dollars in a year. I hate to break it to you. I know you're an HVAC technician and you've got these wild dreams and aspirations that someday you too will be rich so that you want to stand up for the rich so they don't have to pay a little bit more. But I hate to break it to you. You are never going to make a million dollars in a year. This will never affect you. But do you use roads? Do you have children in school? Oh, this is how it'll affect you. A very few people will pay a teeny tiny bit more and we will all benefit from it. The only people that I do know that do make a million dollars or more a year, which is very few, want to be taxed more because they understand. They, they end up setting up foundations so that they can do stuff with this money that they don't even know what to do with. They want to help people with it. It is ultimately, it should be, the responsibility of a civil society to get together and vote on, I think, what we do with that money. I get that some people, you know, want to decide exactly how they want to support it. If you make that much money in general, you usually have enough money to continue to support those good causes that you want to support. But you're not going to be able to get your own neighborhood's roads paved that, or you know, support your local public school district that same way. That's why we vote. That's why we have taxes. It's the price you pay for civilization. And if you make a lot of money, you have enough money to spend to make civilization just a teeny tiny bit better with that money. I think there's another pet piece of this that you've just begun to touch on, Monty, and that is actually the first two words, the fair share amendment. Because if you are making over a million, you're making two or three million dollars a year, the odds are overwhelming that a great deal of that income and the wealth that is producing it comes from the fact that in Massachusetts, we have a sophisticated an educated workforce. We have transportation that will get people from here to there to work from their homes to workplaces, that we have an infrastructure. And so the wealth, the massive wealth that is accumulated happens because there are people who create it. And if we want to be a wealthy common wealth going forward, we need that educated workforce. We need good public schools. We need good universities and colleges, public universities and colleges. We need transportation. We need the roads. We need the bridges. We need the rail trails, we, the rails. 
all of that. And that's what this will support. And as our guest last week pointed out, the $2 billion extra a year that will be spent and devoted to these causes and these projects will make a really important difference in everyone's future. And in fact, those billionaires who are going to pay that 4% more on income over a million dollars, they're probably going to become even wealthier, notwithstanding this tax. Max? Bill, I just want to say that, you know, any survey of business leaders about what matters most about where they locate, invest their, their, in their businesses, um, tax rates are somewhere fourth, fifth, sixth on that list. Almost always, uh, business leaders will put at the very top, number one or two, is a good educated workforce. There's a reason why General Electric moved from Hartford to Boston. They said they were doing that right about when we were moving forward with the ballot initiative in 2018. And people said, well, some of your top managers will be hit by this. And the CEO said, what I want to do when I look out of our new headquarters is see lots and lots of recent college graduates running around. That's why people want to be here. We don't have oil or diamonds. We have educated people. We have some of the very best public schools in the country. And that's one of the reasons, uh, a major reason, why there are businesses that have been growing here and why, uh, frankly, we've doubled the number of millionaires in this Commonwealth. All the while, people could have all fled to, to New Hampshire, where there is no state income tax, and they have not. So people, um, the, the wealthy, I'm not trying to actually you know, make this a no, leave no millionaire behind discussion, but uh, business leaders, wealthy people have made significant funds, gotten significantly wealthier during the pandemic. And it's in large measure, as you say, because of the kind of baseline investment. What Fair Share does is create a reliable $2 billion or more fund that will be there every year in year in, year out to invest in these basic investment aesthetics community needs. Yeah, and I think that Monty touched on another important point is the idea that the state legislature is going to intentionally violate and clearly violate a state constitutional amendment, a part of the state constitution. I find with all of these advocacy groups looking at them and making sure they do what they're supposed to do, the idea that uh, the $2 billion isn't going to go where it's supposed to go, I, I find anything is possible. I give it about one in 10,000. Well, think about it from this way. There's an uh, obscure law that nobody remembers from 40, practically 40 years ago that's going to amount to us getting a tax rebate this year. People are watching this like a hawk. If the Constitution yeah. says this money can't be used in this For other anything ways, else, we're right? going to hear about it. It's not going to happen. Can I just address one thing that uh, Monty said before about, which is, so, which is what helps, I think, make this, this such a clear choice, is that you're not going to make a million bucks a year. And... The Bureau of Labor Statistics does like data for Massachusetts and every state and looking at the average income in states. There is no profession, no occupation that has an average income of even above $350,000. There are doctors and lawyers and the like who make a lot of money, but there is no occupation that makes that. In other words, the people who are making multi-million dollars are doing it because they have a lot of money, have investments and are getting interest and returns on those investments. This is most occupations aren't even close to that. Even, even the, the radiologist at Mass General, even the president of the UMass system makes $730,000, a ton of money, 
but even that is not a million dollars a year in income. So we are talking about a very rarefied, roughly 20,000 households out of 3.5 million households. This is not your average Joe. This is will never be um, people even who are quite prosperous. We're talking about only asking the very, very wealthiest to pay a little more for our schools and colleges and transportation systems. We're going to leave it there. Yes, on question one. Thank you, Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. We'll be right back with Salman Hamid. What's going on elsewhere in the universe right after this? Go UMass, Pride Day versus Liberty tomorrow. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Skates cutting the ice and sticks pounding boards. The slap of the puck and a peel off the post. The chirp of the whistle and the blaring of the horn. Hockey is here. Tune in for all the sounds of the season right here on the UMass Sports Network. 1015. 1400 and 1240 WHMP. I'm Missy Tatro, Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Have we got some exciting news for you. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. We're extending our offer to save up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. There's still time to get a $750 closing credit plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Check out our new website and start your application now at bestlocalbank.com or come see us in person. As local lenders, we're here for you every step of the way. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Missy Tatro. Or me, Kimberly Gates, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer, or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Space, a final frontier. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. 
And this is Hampshire College Professor Salman Hamid's universe. Sometimes we say a ridiculous, large, and largely ridiculous universe. But here, Salman, I have been asking you for years on this show about, you know, should I worry about the sun running out of fuel? How about asteroids smashing into Earth? And I get a, a skeptical response from you, that putting it generously. Um, but here it turns out that NASA itself is smashing rockets into asteroids that could destroy the Earth. So um, I'm willing to have uh, any retraction you'd like to make this morning and then tell us why <laughs> NASA is, please, please tell us why NASA is smashing uh rockets into asteroids to divert them away from the possibility of smashing into Earth. And I want you to know all the dinosaurs will really, really appreciate the answer. Please, Salman. Uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, first of all, asteroids. Yeah, we do have to thank asteroids for us being here doing this radio show because dino radio shows were not very good. So I think it's good that they <laughs> got wiped out because <laughs> okay. of an asteroid. But, uh, recently, but Roughly two weeks ago, uh, NASA did uh, throw in, not a rocket, but a spaceship, actually, a, a small, a small spaceship about the size of a refrigerator. And it slammed into, unprovoked, into a small asteroid about a little over, bigger than a football field. And, um, uh, and, and this particular asteroid is sort of like an orbiting another one. So there is a binary asteroid that is about uh, 7 million miles away. And NASA sent a spacecraft. Its name was DART. Uh, the acronym is the Double Asteroid Redirection Test, but more appropriately, DART. So it darted towards that at a high speed at about 15,000 miles per hour. And it accurately slammed into this asteroid a little bigger than a football field. So first of all, just take a little deep breath and say, whoa. That's amazing. Yeah, seven million miles away, and they got it there. Uh, it has an interesting um, navigation system as well, uh, because before the crash, uh, I think a few hours before, it had its own navigational system. The commands were not going from the Earth because there was a, still a little bit of a delay, and so it had to make its own decision. But it slammed within a few meters of its exact intended place. So that's amazing. Now, of course, uh, after we are done with uh, vowing that this is amazing, the question is, why did they do that? Because, you know, it was a few hundred million dollar project. Uh, and the way NASA is, uh, is sort of like you know, framing it, that this was the first test of our planetary defense. And, uh, and, and in this case, yeah. And in this case, you have this uh, binary asteroid where one asteroid is orbiting the other, the smaller one, about 165 meters or so, orbiting a bigger one, which is about less, about a half a mile. With a very, we know it's orbit period. It so what's 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 roughly, but Tom, let me interrupt. What, what's the what's the uh, fear here that the asteroid's going to go off course and somehow come redirect it? It's in orbit now. Why is it going to fall out of orbit and head towards Earth? Yeah, no, this this was a completely innocent asteroid. Uh, it <laughs> never threatened us. It was never going to threaten us. The whole system was innocent. Okay, so yes, this was unprovoked. Uh, the the reason why this was an interesting asteroid to smash into was because it's a binary asteroid, and we can exactly measure its orbital period. So the smaller asteroid takes about eleven hours and fifty five minutes 
to go around the big one. So smaller asteroid is called Dimorphos. The bigger one is called Didymos. But this was essentially and, target practice because these asteroids weren't going to bother us, but we're concerned about other asteroids coming from deep space, coming towards Earth, so we'll be able to blast them before they reach us. Is that the idea? And this is Right. A- so, so the question is, how do we do that? Normally, if you, if you watch uh, movies, they usually blast them out, sort of like, you know, nuke them and all of that. So that's all a bad strategy because you don't want the asteroid to break apart because then if there are more pieces hitting the Earth, that could even be more dangerous. So one of the ideas is that if you have sufficient time to deflect the asteroid, all you have to do is to move its orbit just a little bit. And over a long period of time, it's going to miss the Earth. And one of the ways to change its orbit is by slamming into it. So this is called a kinetic impactor. So it's not a bomb or anything. It's just a spacecraft slamming into it. It gives a little bit of its momentum to the asteroid. So here, what they were testing was that can you change its orbit? And the reason is, up until recently, we used to think that these asteroids are rocky, solid bodies. That's what's going to happen. But recent missions uh, to Bennu asteroid, uh, this was a NASA mission, OSIRIS-REx, and there's a Japanese mission, Hayabatsu-2, they all showed that actually many of these asteroids are pieces of rubble. They are very loosely packed. So they wanted to know what happens if a spacecraft slams into it, and depending on what they are made up of, if it's a loose rubble, it's going to be impacted more. So that's what they are trying to test here. And it slammed into it. It was amazing. You could see the video of this spacecraft slowly getting closer and closer to Dimorphos. And then the last image, in fact, couldn't even be completed. And there was a tiny asteroid, uh, not asteroid, there was a tiny spaceship. It was an Italian space agency, size of a toaster. It actually was What's part of toasters, the refrigerators. <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> sending all of our best appliances to space. <laughs> Stoves, come on. Well, we are throwing the whole kitchen sink at it. <laughs> so, so this small CubeSat, uh, it actually ejected out of this spacecraft 10 days before, and it also took pictures of it about what happened to this impact. And Hubble Space Telescope, James Webb Space Telescope, a bunch of ground-based telescopes, we all took pictures. And now it's going to take a few weeks to figure out how much of the orbit of the smaller asteroid was changed. And in four years' time, there was another satellite that's going to go to the same system to look at more closely what had happened. So a lot of attention to this asteroid, but that's because it's a binary asteroid. We can learn a lot from it. We are speaking with Salman Hamid, Professor Salman Hamid, and we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about, well, less about, I guess, don't look up, but more about why there are rings around Saturn, and what's with the UFOs out there today. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. 
A teacher at Holyoke High School Dean Campus is out of a job amid an ongoing investigation into allegations that he flirted and shared inappropriate photos with a former student. Holyoke Public Schools Receiver Superintendent Anthony Soto tells the Republican that a current student raised concerns with a counselor last month. The school counselor then immediately notified school officials. The teacher, who was not identified in Soto's statement over privacy concerns, was released as the investigation continues. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner is speaking out about the conditional recertification of Police Chief Robert Haig. Haig was issued a full recertification approval letter from the Post Commission on September 4th, but then received a second letter in October saying recertification was conditional until the commission could evaluate new information. Wiedegardner tells 22 News the original recertification letter should have been the end of it, and she feels there will be a path toward full rectification. And the Asheville Fall Festival is back this weekend after a two-year hiatus due to COVID. This year's festival will take place Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Elizabeth McGowan will also be on hand Saturday for a reading and book signing at 4 p.m. Only Asheville-based companies and residents are allowed to sell food at the event, and 22 food vendors will be participating this year. There's also pumpkin games, antique cars, music, and more. For more information, check out AshevilleFallFestival.org. Mixture of sun and clouds today, brightest during the middle of the day. Watch out for a scattered to isolated shower in the afternoon, a high of 72 to 76. Scattered clouds, breezy, cool tonight. Overnight lows of 36 to 42. Mostly sunny, breezy tomorrow, 56 to 60. Sunshine on Sunday, a high in the low 60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashiviega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El presidente Joe Biden indultó a miles de estadounidenses condenados por posesión simple de marihuana según la ley federal, mientras su administración da un paso drástico hacia la despenalización de la droga y aborda las prácticas de acusación que afectan de manera desproporcionada a las personas de color. La medida de Biden también cubre a miles de condenados por el crimen en el Distrito de Colombia. También está pidiendo a los gobernadores que emitan indultos similares para los condenados por delitos estatales relacionados con la marihuana que reflejan la gran mayoría de los casos de posesión de este tipo. Biden en un comunicado dijo que la medida refleja su posición de que nadie debería estar en la cárcel solo por usar o poseer marihuana. Demasiadas vidas han cambiado debido a nuestro enfoque fallido de la marihuana, agregó. Es hora de que corrijamos estos errores. Según la Casa Blanca, actualmente nadie se encuentra en una prisión federal únicamente por simple posesión de la droga, pero el indulto podría ayudar a miles a superar los obstáculos para alquilar una casa o encontrar un trabajo. El Departamento de Justicia está trabajando para diseñar un proceso para que las personas cubiertas por el indulto de Biden reciban un certificado de indulto que pueden mostrar a posibles empleadores y otras personas según sea necesario. En otras informaciones, el Departamento de Vivienda de Puerto Rico anunció el jueves una extensión del programa de asistencia para la renta tras una nueva propuesta en fondos de 97 millones de dólares. Este programa, que ayuda a los beneficiarios en el pago del alquiler de su vivienda, así como el pago de agua y luz, continuará hasta septiembre de 2023. Más de 70 mil familias se han beneficiado y para ser elegible, los inquilinos deben tener ingresos por debajo del 80% de los ingresos medios del área según establecido por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano de Estados Unidos. Yo soy Johan Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP.
During the break, we continued our conversation with Professor and Astronomer Salman Hamid. Salman, you want to make a point about asteroids and climate change. So share that with our listeners, if you would, please. Okay. So I just wanted to make a quick point, and that was that, yes, it was really cool that this asteroid defense test actually passed and all of that stuff. But there is also a present crisis here on Earth, which is much more serious in some ways. Yes, the threat of an asteroid is there as well, but so is the climate change. And it's just that the climate change is a little bit slower to see. It's not a big impact that happened. I mean, it's, climate change is happening pretty fast. Its impacts are happening pretty fast. But let's not forget about the seriousness and the extinction that is caused by our own actions. Again, those species that survived or that benefited from the dino extinction, well, we may be causing our own extinction and the extinction of many other species. So yes, great for planetary defense, for asteroid tests, but do not forget the extinction that we are causing here because of our own actions on the Earth. Well, thank you for sharing that depressing perspective, but it's right. So, public service announcement. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, in terms of public service announcements, maybe you could turn our attention to the movie that's at the Academy of Music. Uh, want to tell us about that? Or, Monty, do you want to uh, set sure. this up? So, yeah, Monty, do you want to? Sure. This? It's a, a locally created film that takes place in Zimbabwe, actually, called Aerial Phenomenon, and it looks at an incident that happened in September of 1994 at a school called the Aerial School, where about 60 school children claim that they saw a UFO and aliens. And it's archival footage from the ZBC, as they call it, Zimbabwe, you know, uh, broadcasting company, as well as other archival footage. And then the local filmmakers from here, Ashfield and uh, Waitley and, and beyond, followed the them as adults now recounting this story. And it really, it's an investigation into less into what happened exactly uh, from a fact-finding mission to how that event affected them as human beings. And I had the filmmakers on my show earlier this week, and I thought it'd be fun to bring Salman Hamid into that conversation as well, and we did have a, a nice chat about it. What say you about this movie? You are, in addition to being an astronomer, also someone who is, a really, is really knowledgeable about movies. So what say you about this? What's your review, Professor? Well, I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good movie, and uh, and the way I framed it, like you know, that it's a believers' film, uh, and by believers' film, it's not just like you know the people who believe in UFOs, but also people who are interviewed in there do believe that they did see aliens in it, and this is not that different in some ways to people who claim about alien abductions. They're not lying; their experiences are real, uh, and I think if you say, did they experience that? And I think the answer is yes. But there's a separate question, were those aliens? And I think for that, the scientific question is a bit different. And in this particular case, I think it's a really interesting case. Many kids saw that. Uh, there are also examples of mass hysteria, mass delusions, which are very interesting psychologically. Uh, you can also have hoaxes, like for example, crop circles that a lot of people have come to believe it. That's also interesting. So there is an interesting element to it. Uh, do I think this is a case which closes sort of like, you know, that, oh, there were aliens out there? No, not even close. Uh, and, and so for that, evidence is quite far. But on the other hand, I mean, that's, again, just like I'm not going to go to sort of like, you know, a, a religious movie and have a panel on it and say, 
no, you guys are all wrong. And no, that's not the point because I think it's a bit, these type of experiences are really important to people who experience it, right? And so I, I think there is no denying of the reality of the experience. But I think if you ask a different question, does that mean that we have evidence that aliens have visited us? No, we do not. So, so that so it's a, it's a it's a tricky thing. And and Bill, you were you audited one of my classes on aliens, where we spent a month on claims of alien abductions as well. In this one, it's not about abductions; it's just seeing aliens, but alien abductions. And that's the reason why we spend so much time on that because because those experiences are real, even if aliens were not. And that's a fascinatingly interesting thing of what happens inside our mind. Dan, I should note, Salman's course, uh, Professor Amit's course, uh, Aliens, Close Encounters of an Interdisciplinary Kind, was fascinating. And the readings were fabulous. And the movies were terrific. Hey, Salman, I want to go on to something else. Um, we now know more about why there are rings about Saturn. Tell us about that. Okay, so right now you have a fantastic opportunity to see Saturn and Jupiter in the night sky. Jupiter is the brightest thing other than stars, like, you know, um, not other than stars, but brighter than actually all the stars. It's a planet. You can see in the evening, a little after uh, sunset, you can also see Saturn um, towards Southeast. And uh, Saturn, of course, is the original Lord of the Rings. Like, you know, all giant planets have rings, but Saturn is like you know, the most amazing rings. All giant, and, all giant planets have rings? Yes. Uh, There's even rings around Jupiter. Uranus, Newman. <laughs> I haven't seen them, but I'm told that they're uh, there. <laughs> Moving right along. Please move along, Salman. <laughs> I'm saying the visibility of rings depends upon the angles. But anyways, uh, and in fact, James Webb Space Telescope took a beautiful picture of uh, rings around Jupiter, which were actually more visible in the infrared. But Saturn's rings. Those, are, those were first observed by Galileo with the telescope. He actually originally thought that those were two large moons around it. And then he would say, oh, sometimes they disappeared. And then they reappeared. And so he was puzzled by it. And the reason they disappear is because these rings are really narrow. They're only about a kilometer thick and about 300,000 kilometers across. Their thickness in the ratio is much, much, much thinner then if you look at the paper edgewise. And so we so know, we know about this because of the uh, James Webb Space Telescope? No. So, there is a, so this had been a puzzle. How long have these rings been around? Uh, and now astronomers think that, well, they've been around for about 100 million years or so. And, uh, and they're not going to stay forever. We think that they are going to go away in a few hundred million years, uh, which, is, which is nothing. The question was, why did it form? How did it form? And uh, recent models, and these are partly dependent upon sort of Cassini spacecraft that was orbiting Saturn system. It crashed into uh, Saturn a few years ago. Uh, and they have found that there probably was another moon, which astronomers have named Chrysalis. And that moon was sent in because of gravitational interaction with it. it's another moon, Titan, closer to Jupiter, uh, closer to Saturn and Saturn's gravity rip it apart. And that moon is no longer there, but its pieces are the ones that become that became the ring. And those rings of Saturn now that are spectacular are the end stage of that particular moon. 
It's a beautiful ending. It's a beautiful thing. Professor and astronomer Salman Hamid, this has been Salman Hamid's Universe. Thank you for being with us. Really appreciate it, Salman. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This week's Shop Tuesday is Simple Gifts Farm Store. This Tuesday at 9 a.m., Simple Gifts releases gift certificates for their farm store in North Amherst. Get organic produce, pasture-raised meat, free-range eggs, local dairy, and more at Simple Gifts Farm Store in North Amherst. And this Tuesday, you save 30%. Simple Gifts Farm in North Amherst, available this Shop Tuesday at 9 a.m. on the Shop 30 store at whmp.com. At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmers markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CESA's bright yellow Local Hero label, letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero food, as fresh as it gets. Why work for just any hospital when you can work for Cooley Dickinson Hospital in Northampton? Cooley Dickinson Hospital is the winner of the Best Local Choice Award by the Daily Hampshire Gazette's 2022 Reader's Choice Awards. And right now, they're offering a $10,000, yes, a $10,000 sign-on bonus for inpatient and emergency department nurses. Don't wait. Apply online today at cooleydickinson.org. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among co-workers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. And this is Art Beat with Donabel Cassis, who is going to have a leap of faith that our <laughs> special guest is really about to join us. So who is who is our mystery guest? <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be Terry Rooney. Um, uh, so 
I'm just waiting for her to connect. Um, so hopefully she'll be here shortly. But anyway, um, the show we're going to talk about is happening in where, which is, you know, uh, where an area we, where it's where, you know, W-A-R-E. Oh, I see. And it's not usually um, an area we cover. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're able to explore a new venue. And uh, Terry Rooney is a local artist and curator of the um, Amherst Biennial. And so hopefully when she joins us, she can tell us more about the show. Um, but as I, know, I, have you been to where? As I understand it, uh, Donabelle, Terry Rooney's uh, show is titled Wow, Wild Ornery Women. And it's at art, the Artworks Gallery in Ware. So wild ornery um, wild am i right wild ornery women uh wild ornery women wise overlooked women um she's calling me <laughs> so hopefully i don't understand <laughs> um, she's calling me so yes wild overlooked women and you know you know the, the whole subject of unrecognized or underrecognized artists is nothing new um not everyone becomes famous and you sort of have to wonder why but you know i think a lot of what this show is about is about you know mostly women women who are overlooked uh, women who haven't necessarily gotten the attention um and uh hopefully you received a call from her uh, monty but nope. anyway i'll um, let you know <laughs> okay but but generally uh you know, it's it's more of a obviously a male dominated field in art history. Um, so, you know, what this show is hopefully bringing is some attention to some women who have been working despite it all, despite being overlooked and um, under recognized. Have you been able to um, get to the show, or are we waiting? Is the number five eight six? Seven one four oh. Yes, still it is. is. Still is. Okay. 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 Yes. So hopefully she's she's coming soon. But anyway, <laughs> I've never been to where. Um, oh, really? It's, uh, yeah. It, I don't, have you been? Yeah. Have you seen yes. It's not the far side of the moon. It's just <laughs> it's just the far side of Hampshire County. Um, and it's completely doable. So. Okay, we have. How far is it from here? It's yes, half I'm an, on. Half an hour. You are on. Okay. Oh, Donabel, okay. microphone is yours. As is, why you want to introduce your guest again? We have about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, I'm glad you're able to join us. Um, yeah, so Terry Rooney is the curator of the show called Wow. And Terry, can you tell us about the title and what that means to you? Well. Um, it is about women uh, who have not been acknowledged in their youth. And um, when, now that they are older women, are unseen and overlooked. Um, for me, it's amazing that in spite of the discouragement being responsible for raising families and being unseen, they are still creating exciting art. Um, uh, we're... Um, and when I look for women who are honorary, 
the title is Wild Ornery Women and Wiser Overlooked Women. Um, they um, have continued to keep making art in spite of the lack of recognition they deserve. I found mm-hmm. these extraordinary women, and uh, Workshop 13 provided the opportunity to show their work in where. Now, now, you know, the trajectory of an artist's career can vary, right? So some get discovered and uh, become the center of the art world, and then others continue despite being overlooked. Now, these women, compared to sort of younger artists, younger women artists right now who, who are making work, but eventually sometimes have burnout. These are seasoned artists, mature artists, serious artists. Please tell us who's showing. Well, um, we have um, two artists from New York, uh, Audrey Anastasi and um, Irene uh, Christensen. Um, Audrey has been creating for over 50 years and runs a Tabla Rasa gallery in uh, Brooklyn. And Irene uh, Christensen has also um, been working for a long time. The local artists are uh, Ann Burton, Rachel Folsom, Mo Ringing Garou, Alex Hegeler, um, who we just lost this uh, year. Uh, Alex um, Hegeler uh, taught at Holyoke Community College and was a beloved instructor, professor, uh, but she never really uh, was in any museum shows, and her work is outstanding. She did these uh, books that are encased with copper on um, offset plates with collages and drawing on them. They are extraordinary. And in fact, she was one of the first artists I thought of when I put the show together. Lynn Horan is another talented artist. Um, who uh, has a really poignant piece in the show with um, a woman in a wheelchair, which is in fact what she is, on a game board of sorry. And uh, looking at a uh, staircase that she cannot climb. Um, Molly Kellogg is a new artist uh, to the area. She moved from California about a year ago and does these luscious, powerful, magical uh, portraits of women. Uh, And um, we also have uh, Susan Montgomery, who is teaching at Smith College, did this incredible drawing, Life Size of Medea, which is so timely. It seems that um, the uh, Metropolitan Opera is reviving Medea, which they have not done in decades. So what a timely piece for this uh, uh, really unsettled time we're in. Holly Murray, who um, just retired from um, Springfield College, and in fact um, uh, is addressing climate change, as well as uh, Gabrielle Senza from the Berkshires and Ann Burton, um, also from the Pioneer Valley. Now, these um, subjects are obviously very timely and important, and some of them are provocative. 
Tell us a little bit about the space, because I know we have a little over a minute. Um, this is in where. Tell us where they're showing and when can we see it? Well, um, it is uh, uh, at Artworks Gallery, which is part of uh, Workshop 13, which is this incredible new art center uh, that has um, been created by Marie Lauderdale, who is a dynamo. Uh, and it is helping to improve the uh, account, uh, the economy for wear. It is uh, the exhibition will be open to October 23rd. It's open on weekends from one to five. Cherry Rooney, thank you so much for putting the show together, bringing recognition to these women artists. Go see it at Artworks Gallery in Wear. Which is a beautiful drive down Route 9 from Northampton. It's only about 19 you miles from Amherst. Go to where to see this exhibit. Thank you so much, Thank both you of you. Thank you so much. This has been Heartbeat. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Hey everyone, Gordon Oliver here. I am privileged, along with my co-pilot Tina Marie, to gather and share a community of people, organizations, and experts who are making a difference in improving and positively impacting the financial lives of others. Financial peace of mind is a marathon, not a sprint, so we're cutting through the clutter to help you attain or continue to attain financial freedom. Wondering about members-only buying services? Tune in on Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP and learn about BuyersEdgeInc.com. WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers, WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an Live equal opportunity employer and, and encourages my since 1950, WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, Northampton Radio Group Station.